Welcome to the Dev Radio Podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today we have Stephen, the director of the Taylorist Agency, a copywriting agency out of Sydney. Welcome, Stephen. Nice to be here. Thanks for coming on board and having a chat with us. So I'll, I'll let you do an introduction because I seem to butcher it when I get most people's and try and cover anything. So I'll let you go in and explain what you guys do. Well, Taylorist is a copywriting agency. Copywriting is salesmanship in print. So it's the art of persuading somebody usually to act, but sometimes to think something or feel something. It's often confused with content writing, and content writing is about informing people and educating people, uh, and there's a huge place for that, obviously, in all marketing. But if you want someone to pick up the phone and call you or download your app or sign up for a demo, that's where the persuasive element comes in. Yes, yeah, so it's really that sales focus, not just writing words for the sake of writing words effectively yeah it's the difference between having a website that would make your mum really glad that she invested in you going to university and having a website that makes your reader think oh i really want that Um, and it is amazing how many people basically write a website for their mum yeah okay i understand we're probably falling into that category (laughs) (laughs) well yeah definitely falling into that category i'd say in terms of um, our content it's more of a content strategy <laughs> rather than a, a sales strategy. Well, I've found it difficult probably to find that balance of how do you have put the right words to paper to sell. Do you have any advice or tips out there for anyone or even for us? You have to start from your audience and that is where a lot of people get stuck because they've worked really hard to do what they do and they know all the problems they've solved. So if you think about Amazon, for instance, you imagine how many problems Amazon has to solve to get something to you within 24 hours. Do you give a shit? No, you don't. You care that it's coming within 24 hours. You care that it will be reliable. You care that you'll be able to track it, all of those things. So if you let the Amazon guys who've solved all their logistics problems write their website, you'd get a website all about, you've no idea how hard it is to get a shipping container into a factory unpacked by robots and, you know, you don't care. So number one tip is you've got to think about what does your audience care about? What do they think their problem is? Because quite often what you think your problem is, an expert would look at it and go, that's not your problem at all, right? If you go to the doctor and say, oh, I'm really short of breath, I think I might have asthma and he's looking at you and you're 40 kilos overweight, Your problem is probably not that you have asthma, right? It's your 40 kilos overweight, but you've told yourself it's asthma. So you need to know who is my audience and what do they think their problem is. And if they're wrong about the problem, I need to jujitsu them into understanding what the problem really is. And if they're right about their problem, I need to show them that I've got the answer. And if I've got them excited about that, I need to prove I can deliver. So if we take Amazon, for instance, again, as an example, if Amazon gets you excited about the idea of 24-hour delivery, you then have to believe that they can do it. And what a lot of companies make the mistake of doing is saying, hey, you're a time-poor professional and I can save you an hour a day. Is that exciting? And you're like, yeah, that's exciting. I would love to save an hour a day, but I don't believe you can do it for me. And companies just don't do enough to prove that they can they can do it so that you can trust them. How do you make them believe? That's a persuasiveness, I'm guessing, where that comes in. Is it more testimonials and evidence or is it just in the wording and describing of how you, the value they get out of you solving the problem, not how it's solved? Social proof is one way to do it. Um, it's not 
you know, it's not always appropriate, but it's one, it's one way to do it, or it could be one part of a group of things. What most people, again, make the mistake of with their testimonials is they have a testimonial that says, Anthony and Andrew were lovely to work with. That's great if your prospect is worried that you won't be nice to work with and cares that you won't be nice to work with. So most testimonials are completely useless because they're not talking about the things that anybody actually cares about. So if I think, um, well, I'm trying to think of a good example, if I think the software will be expensive and won't deliver based on how much time I have to put into learning it and deploying it, I need testimonials that say, oh my God, I couldn't believe it. Normally these tools take three weeks to learn. This one, within 10 minutes, I was up and running and I you know, achieved my first goal. That's what you need a testimonial to be, not it was really nice and I love the color scheme, if those aren't the things that people care about. So social proof is excellent, but needs to be tailored to the objection. So you need to know why isn't somebody buying. And the list of reasons people don't buy is endless. So people fixate, for instance, on price. Oh, it's too expensive. Everybody forgets also that things can be too cheap, right? Like if I, if I told you I had my Maserati outside and it was yours for $10, you'd immediately think, is it hot? Um, is, is there a kilo of something in the, in the, tire, you know, in the spare tire area? Does it fit in your pocket as a matchbox car? Yeah, exactly. Like what's, what's the catch? So price is always going to be an objection. But if you think about, say, a gym membership, there are lots of reasons people don't join a gym. You know, and I think about myself, um, maybe everyone in the gym is too hot and I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm going to be the fat old middle-aged dude in the gym and I don't want to be that guy. Everybody else knows how to use all the machines. I don't know how to use the machines. So I'm going to look like an idiot. All of those things, the more you understand those things and, let, and, and mitigate them in your text or overcome them, the more persuasive you're going to be. So it's really understanding what is the barrier? So common barriers, yes, of course, price. But I've had a crap experience with somebody else before. Like, sure, you've got great software that's going to save me an hour a day or it's going to do whatever it's going to do. But I've bought that software three times from three different people and it never worked. So if you're not talking to that, there's, there's your problem. I was going to say, it's really understanding the person you're talking to specifically, not just your general customers, like when you're having a sales pitch or whatever conversation you have with the lead, it's understanding what their objections are going to be and then pulling the right thing out of the deck effectively for them. And their level of understanding. So, I mean, if I, I mean, I was called not so long ago by a company. Um, all I had was their URL to go on. They emailed through the website. So they've emailed at tailist.agency. I've come to them. I'm looking at their web. I'm on their homepage. I can't work out what they do. I mean, imagine that for a minute, right? That's your homepage and I can't work out what you do. Then I had to look at three pages of their website before I worked out what they did was sell software to educational institutions. That's all they did. They did one thing. They write software for businesses that are in the education space. How did it need three pages of their website for me to understand that? Like that is crushing sorry Stephen, you're dropping out then we only got they sell software to businesses ah right so they sell software to businesses that are in the education area so that's all you do you write software you sell it to people who are schools or universities or otherwise in education and somebody who comes to your website can't get that immediately that is a real problem with your website yeah so being 
clear in just what your general offering is, not just what your specific answers to those objections are going to be? Yeah, well, you've got to think about, I mean, another example, for instance, a client of mine wants to do an article with a supplier of theirs. I, I mean, I won't say who it is because, you know, I'm not here to embarrass anybody, but I've gone and looked at the website of this supplier. This supplier sells a tech solution. Again, I have no idea what it does. Like, it seems to be that they build something in VR and then your customers can experience something in VR. But that's a lot of guesswork on my part. I also don't understand, do my customers need to go to your facility to put on the VR headset? Or can I have that in my office? Do you have a certain base level of stuff? So I'm just building a specific instance on your base level. I don't understand any of that. So I'm probably not gonna call you because it's just too confusing. Um, Nobody wants to call somebody and look like an idiot. You don't want to call a car dealer and say, are you a car dealer? And have the guy turn around and say, what the hell are you doing? You know, no, I'm Harry's Cafe de Wheels. What are you talking about? So in this whole scheme of things, where do you generally start with people? So if you, you're looking at, if you're engaged and you're looking at someone's website, for example, and how they communicate themselves out, what's the starting point? What does it look like? The first three questions are really... I mean, they're so basic. Like, how old is your client, male or female? What do they do? And what is fascinating to me is really how many people say my ideal client is 18 to 65. It's like one of those board games, three to 100. Um, Everybody. <laughs> yeah, like anybody with money. Like, I get it, right? If somebody walks in with a wheelbarrow of cash, you're not going to say, get out. I'm sorry, I was looking for a 35-year-old woman wearing a yellow headscarf. And your 100,000 is no good to me. But you have to pitch your website at somebody more specific than alive, over the age of consent and alive. So that's what you really need to be thinking about. And, and we have this problem. So, you know, we'll say things to people like, what's, what's life like for these guys at home? And they're like, that is irrelevant. I am a B2B company. I only sell to people at work. You're like, you think selling to a woman who's got five children at home who votes green, drives a Volvo, recycles everything, is the same as writing to a woman who has no children, lives in an inner city apartment, recycles nothing, and you know wants to basically burn as much jet fuel as she can in her holidays, going to as many exciting places as possible. These are not the same people. You don't talk to them the same way, but people act as if, I sell to a business, so what would Meta want to buy from me? And you're like, Meta buys nothing. Meta is a collection of people. What does the person inside Meta think, feel, and want? Also, you've got to go beyond your product. Like You've got to be honest about people and say, yeah, somebody at Meta is charged with buying this particular service. But what are they really scared about? What's going to lose them their job? What's going to get them a bonus? What's going to get them a big fat kicking from some committee they report to? Or what's going to get them a gold star? And how are you going to deliver that to them on top of whatever weird and wonderful things your product is going to do for Meta? And people miss that entirely. They act as if they're selling algorithm to algorithm. And you're always selling to a person. For now. Yeah. The people have a reputation in that business, whether they're a manager or a junior worker, like they've got a name at stake. That's right. Whether they make the good decision or the wrong decision, it's 
their jobs at stake at some point as well. So Absolutely. They've got fear. Fear of not getting the bonus, fear of getting fired, fear of being overlooked for promotion, fear of making another mistake, whatever their last mistake was. Like if you're if you're the guy who convinced the company to go all in on MySpace, you're gonna be really, really reluctant to recommend the next social network that the company should be involved in, right? Yeah. Asking these questions are great, but how do we get to the, the crux of actually understanding our buyers better? Because I feel like a lot of businesses aren't really connected to their buyers enough in terms of the level that you're looking at. What's the step? So we might ask these questions and we find that they're, they're targeting 18 to, to 65-year-olds, male, female, everything in between. <laughs> Where do you go through from there? Because that's not a direction. So how do you approach it from there? So what we start... I mean, we have, you know, some exercises that we want people to do. For instance, if it's really bad, my question to people is, close your eyes, imagine you're in the office, there's a knock on the door, it's your ideal client. And they always actually have a good answer to that. They always know, oh, yeah, God, you know, it's a 42-year-old man. Yep, he wants this. Here's his problem. He's running his entire business on a 9,000-line Excel spreadsheet, and he knows it's going to collapse, and only Marjorie knows how to work the spreadsheet and, you know, if Marjorie gets hit by a bus, his whole business goes down because they got nothing beyond this spreadsheet that will break at any minute. And then you're like, oh, okay, so the problem is Marjorie, right? So, yes, you sell a software solution that takes things out of a spreadsheet and does amazing things, but your problem is Marjorie, right? So then you learn, okay, well, what I need to talk about is you don't just have one Marjorie in your business when everyone in your business knows how to access the tool also when there's a proper interface on it you're not running the risk because marjorie can break any cell in the spreadsheet at any time and so can somebody who's covering it while marjorie's away whereas when you've got a software interface no one can break the back all of that kind of stuff then you start to understand it talking to the clients is really important so if you're if somebody has clients then you can talk to them and that is often fascinating because really Often that's the secret source of a website because what you're writing on the website comes from those discussions with clients where they tell you, my problem is not whatever the hell, you know, the number of times I've had a client and I've come back and said, the problem you solve is not the problem you think you solve. That's what you do, but it's not the problem that they've come to you for or the experience they've had. So, I mean, dentists, for instance, to give you a weird example, um, Dentists always want to tell you that they're pain-free. They want their whole website to be about how painless the procedure's going to be, which is, do you want the word pain, like fundamentally planted in the mind of your company? Pain-free, pain-free. <laughs> um, and actually, through research, we found that um, most patients want a friendly team. They assume a dentist is capable of doing dentistry. They assume that you're going to be doing everything humanly possible to cause them as little pain as possible. Like they, they don't think you're going, oh yeah, because the guy next door, he just loves those pliers. He just, he, that's what he's doing. We're pain free. He's the pliers guy. That's not the way they're thinking, right? So they want friendly. So when you start talking to people, that is where you get that kind of information about, oh, I love these lawyers because they're fast, or I love these lawyers because they tell me the answer in a text message, not a 30-page memo. Those are, those are where you find those points of difference. So there's talking directly to clients, and there's also the kind of research that you can do online. And ChatGPT is actually a phenomenal shortcut 
to researching your buyers if if you know how to use it. So if you just say, hey, chat GPT, tell me about people who buy software, well, that's a complete waste of time. But if you know how to prompt it properly, because chat GPT got to where it is by reading the internet, it's read all the reviews of your competitors. It's read all the blog posts of people complaining about their problems or explaining why they've made the choices they've made. So it's all sitting there if you know how to pull it out. Uh, yeah, so having understanding what those customers are after, is it more so initially before, say, ChatGPT came out, so before November, going out and actually talking to all your customers and assessing that and then identifying, all right, out of these key things, these are the ones we can sell that we're, sell that we're solving? Yes. Is that how it sort of was? So what, you're, what you need to know how to do, and, and most people don't, because you know, most people will phone up their clients and say, why do you love me? Um, and the client will say, I love you because. And, and questions you need to be thinking about are, well, what have you done before? Like, what's your experience been before? Um, you know, who else have you used? Who else did you try? Like, a lot of the questions that we're asking people is, how did you arrive at us? So a lot of people want to talk about the experience, you know, so they'll ask their client about, you know, did you enjoy us? Did you find our onboarding beautiful? You know, was our receptionist friendly to you? Um, you know, did you receive emails in a timely fashion? Well, that, that's all fantastic, but they're already your clients. The state that you want to talk to them about is the state before they became your clients or your customers. What was their problem? What did they type into Google? Um, you know, who did they ask for help? Who did they speak to other than you? And why did they end up making the choice that they made of you? And how would they recommend you to other people? So how good you are once I'm your client? Well, that, that's a whole discussion you can have with your clients or your customers around retention. But if you're looking at acquisition, then you need to be talking to them about a different stage. And most people are rubbish at asking those questions. Which doesn't help you, Andrew. Like I know your question was, how do I do it? And the answer is you get somebody else to do it because you're rubbish at it. Like that's, yeah, likely, that's, the, because, that's the answer. <laughs> no, I get that because as you're doing any market research, it's a, it's difficult. Like we wear multiple hats within a business or the confines of what we're doing, and it's difficult to take on a, another new hat and ask questions from a, before you saw you came to us. We've we've done um, some client testimonials in that vein. It's like, but it's not easy because you just sort of. <laughs> and I took the, the, the grip of, let's go to chat GPT and see what should, we should ask. Um, and yeah, just utilizing that to actually give you some um, sort of guidance there, but not going into market research. I think that's a different spin on it. But yeah, the reality is we want to know when people, how people picked us, because why they picked us, because that's going to be the value prop and then what you should probably can be communicating out, which makes a lot of sense actually, rather than just in a testimonial video, how do you then put that message across um, your entire website, your comms, etc., to find similar customers that you're actually working with. Okay, got it. Good input. Well, I mean, the things you want to, you know, if you can work it out, like that you've got to be good at listening when you're asking these questions. So if I give you an example, my first job in Australia was um, in, inside a large law firm running their PR. Um, and what would happen is sometimes the lawyers would go and get an external consultant because my boss who, you know, my boss was a very difficult person, like extremely prickly and quite hard to deal with. 
but really bloody good at what she did, right? Like she was, she's the woman you needed if you wanted to get in the media and you were a, a lawyer with not very much to say. But they would often bring in a consultant who was this older guy, you know, silver hair, expensively dressed. They'd go out for marvellous lunches. He would tell the lawyers how fascinating they were and the lawyers loved it. He never got them in the media, but they felt great about themselves. And that was something that he was very good at understanding that a huge part of it, like, of course you can't walk into a law firm and say, listen, I'm, I'm not going to be great at getting you in the media because you don't have any stories to tell, but I am going to make you feel special. Um, you, you can't sell that overtly, but that is something you'd be using in your copy, right? You'd, the language would be luxurious and it would be, everybody has a story to tell. And, you know, particularly if you've been a professional for 25 years, you're just going to be full of this stuff. And all I have to do is put my hands in the opals and we'll both be rich. Um, and people feel good about it. And if you understand, as he did, that they're never actually going to turn around at the end and say, but I didn't get in the paper. Like Stephen's boss, who was really good at this, she gets me in the paper, but she's really awkward to deal with. And, and that's why they went external, because she was difficult to deal with. They got results or they got driven around the block in a metaphorical Bentley and taken out for nice lunch. They're like, oh, I think I, I think I like that. It's fascinating that way we make decisions as a human being, isn't it? The whole psychology behind this is um, quite interesting. How deep do you dive into that? Because we are human beings and we've all got our own, we make decisions in different ways. How do you approach the different archetypes of people that we may deal with, even though we have a 42-year-old business owner just putting someone out there um, that's mainly looking to improve their operation of their business and drive efficiencies? Let's paint that picture. Um, that's the digger you're deep in. I'm imagining the, the closer you're going to have connections to those people and make it easier to communicate. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, and, you know, you really need to be thinking about what does... So I mean, I'll give you an example of um, a client of ours who have an outsourced general manager service. And they were really, you know, they were in a really interesting position because a lot of people who need a general manager, it's their first time. So they don't really know what a general manager is. So if you write the website about the benefits of our outsourced general manager service, you're not going to reach the right people because there's only this many people who know they want a GM and are then open to an outsourced GM, which is an unusual model, et cetera, et cetera. Their target client to get into that psychology was, I hate my business. That's the psychology of it. I started this business, as you were saying earlier, because I'm a technical expert in what I do. So whether I'm a plumber or a software developer or a lawyer, I'm really good at that. And now all I do is deal with whinging employees, unfair dismissal claims, profit and loss spreadsheets. I'm not getting to do any of the stuff that I'm good at and that I enjoy. I'm so miserable. Well, the answer to that is you get a general manager who's really good at doing all of those things so that you can carry on doing the bits of the business that you like. So that's how you get close to somebody is in understanding they're not looking for, in, in this instance, they're not looking for a GM. They're looking for relief from whining employees really that was the that was the issue in this instance and and tasks just loads and loads of tasks that have nothing to do with what they're good at 
So the deeper you get into what, so when you say driving operational efficiencies, I would say, what does that mean? What is inefficient in the business? And how is that affecting the individual who's going to make the buying decision? Because what a lot of websites will do is they'll talk about, we drive operational efficiencies in the business, which could of course mean anything. Um, and they don't talk to how you'll f how you feel now that the business doesn't have whatever those efficiencies are, and how you'll feel afterwards and what you'll be able to do. It's a real problem with a lot of websites is they talk about features, and they don't talk about benefits. I've always struggled. I get it, but I just don't know how you communicate unless it's done well. Obviously, talking to you, it's come across quite easily and in, in, um, swimmingly the way you speak about it. But from uh, putting that hat on, um, I find it quite difficult to how do you communicate to somebody individually, but still put that in a professional light where it's going to be seen as someone I want to work with from a business to business play. And that's the hat on. Yes, we're not selling to businesses, we're selling to people, but how do we mash the two together? It's more of an art than um, an actual science, I would imagine. There's a there was a famous copywriter who's now dead called Eugene Schwartz who you know wrote the the Bible of copywriting which is called Breakthrough Advertising and he said great copy is not written it's assembled and that is where I think a lot of people get hung up is they they're looking for this creative answer whereas actually it's eighty percent minimum research and. If you don't know what to write, I say this to younger copywriters all the time, if you don't know what to write, you have not done enough research. Because the minute you've done enough research, ideas start coming to you. You might be walking the dog, you might be sitting at your desk, but you'll be like, I need to say this. The actual problem is this person is unhappy in their business and doesn't want to go to work on a Monday morning. The problem is not, I need a general manager. And and the, the acid test for a lot of stuff is if, if you look at your own website and say, is this what somebody woke up this morning wanting? Like, did a business owner wake up and say to themselves, I hope today is the day that I can drive more operational efficiency? Or is today the day somebody woke up and went, please, God, let today be the day no employee whines at me about another employee? Like, is that... Is that what they wake up thinking? And so once you start to understand those things, and then you combine that with the fact that most of the time, for most people, the website doesn't need to do as much as they think it needs to do. A lot of businesses are trying to get you to download a lead magnet or phone me or email me, but they want to give you everything. We've got all of these modules and all of these features and all of this thing. And if, you know, please feel free to call me once you've acquired the PhD in my service or product, rather than I'm going to prove to you that I understand you, that you get to work in the morning and you're unhappy. And I'm going to prove to you that I've solved that problem for other people. And part of the way that I'm going to prove that to you is that you are understanding me. Like if you start a website that says, are you sick and tired of your employees dobbing each other in and complaining? I'm going to go, you've probably got some answers because you sure as hell know what the problem is. Um, and that's a human bias, right? If somebody correctly describes the problem, we tend to think that they have the solution, um, you know, which will be why certain politicians get elected, right? Because they brilliantly describe the problem. You don't like your job. You don't like the economy. You don't like whatever. And so you, you vote for the politician who's described your problem. 
And it's only when they're elected you find out they've got no idea how to solve it. Which happens every single time around. Um, <laughs> fascinating. So I think that's fair, that, that sort of bias. And it's more that the getting to the bottom of the pain point of the person. So that's really where they're at, I think. And selling to that sort of pain point rather than what a question around that would be what what's what serves you better what's give what drives better results is it that pain fear angle or is it that pleasure getting to a better state angle what generally works better from your pain, mind pain and fear 100 percent. humans will run a lot faster away from loss than they will run towards gain i mean there's a whole load of psychology about that that if you offer something for free it sounds like a gain. If you offer it for $0, it sounds like you're going to lose something good if you don't sign up for it. You know, it, that that increases conversion rates. But absolutely, because a lot of the challenge I have as a copywriter is people are like, oh, I don't want to go too negative. We want to be a positive and sunny company. And you're like, okay, well, you know, you can sound as bubblegum as you want. But if you don't talk about their problems, they don't want to deal with you because they're, they're looking for solutions because humans are bias towards the status quo, which we know, because the status quo hasn't killed you. So if you're a slob on the sofa, you know, eating pizza and watching TV, that hasn't killed you. Going to the gym, it's like, oh, I might not like it, or it might be difficult, or oh, it sounds like a lot of work. So you might be Googling gyms near me, but you're really subconsciously looking for reasons not to go to that gym. You're like, oh, that, one's, that one doesn't have parking. Yeah, I tried. I looked for a gym. Better have another slice of pizza and watch Netflix some more. So that's the... You, are tr you need to be lighting a fire under the arse of somebody because it is much easier for them to do nothing. And particularly if you're selling to a business. The guy who did not buy your product and therefore did not anger everybody in the organization because it had to be wound back and they tried it and nobody liked it, the guy who didn't buy your product doesn't get fired. The guy who bought your product and nobody liked it, maybe they get fired or maybe they've got a black mark against them. So you've got to give them a thousand reasons to make the more difficult choice. And that means you have to really agitate their problem. You are on a burning deck. You need to move because you might feel comfortable right now, but new regulation is coming. So what's going to happen to you when that regulation's out and you're being judged and you're not ready. You know, those sorts of, you know, those sorts of things. Fascinating. It's a fun area, this, because, um, yeah, it is a mix of psychology, understanding human behaviour, um, and then driving insights off the back of... But I think the key thing you said at this conversation, conversation is knowing your customer. So who are we going to try and talk to? Because you can't talk to everyone. That 18 to 65 is a big bracket and everyone's going to have different problems. If you've got the right people coming to your website and they're not connecting with you, then it is either because you've got something that nobody wants, right? They've understood it. They're like, yep, I see what that is. I see why it would be good, except I don't want it. Or if you know because you already have customers that look like these people, but you're not converting at the level you expect, it is because your copy is shit. Like there's just no, there's no alternative diagnosis. And it sure as hell isn't the images aren't bright enough or there's not enough bloody white space on the website or whatever the hell it is that people, you know, what, whatever your designer is telling you about how pretty your website is. 
if you look at like really great copywriters, like the copywriters who sell information about copywriting, quite often their websites are dog shit, but they are so compelling in what they say. Nobody says, oh, this is not a contemporary design. I'm not really enjoying the imagery here. Um, generally, they often they don't have imagery. They're saying the right things to the right people and people want to buy it. And you hear all of this shit about short copy. Oh, it's too long. Nobody reads anymore. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's just such nonsense. People, there's no such thing as copy that's too boring or too long, only copy that's too boring. You know, you need long, you need the copy to be as long as you would talk to somebody for. So again, if we go back to the Maserati example, if mm. I said to you, Anthony, my Maserati's outside, it's fully certified, here's the paperwork, there's no catch, would you, would you like to have it for a week? What, what else do I need to say, right? Um, but if you're saying, I've got software, the license is $100,000 a year, um, would you like it? Uh, probably I'm going to say, I'm going to need a little bit more information before I say that. But on people's websites, they're like, it's software, it's amazing, it's lovely. Here's some features, here's some arrows pointing at buttons on a screenshot. Where's your 100 grand? Um, if if it would take you 10 minutes to sell somebody on having a call with you, let's say. I mean, I'm not saying you can sell $100,000 software in 10 minutes, but if it would take you 10 minutes for someone to say, yeah, okay, I'll have a meeting with you, that that's 1,200 words. You know, 1,200, 150 words because we speak at 120, 150 words a minute. So if it would take you 10 minutes to talk to somebody, but a lot of the time it's going to take you half an hour. And people are like, yes, I've got this great 400-word landing page and I'm really surprised that nobody calls me. It and takes more of, effort than people think. Yeah, definitely. So I think if you get to the point where you don't understand your customer properly, you're just selling features, which is the arrows on the buttons and explaining what it does, not how it solves a problem. And that's where most people probably asked in the past, majority of the time have fallen down well and it's the wrong problem like a lot of people they've seen a problem because they're a technical expert so they know what the problem is you know like if you're a broadband engineer and you look at my house you you, you know can tell me right it's, the cable needs to be this or that or the other or you know it's your router's this all I know is my problem is I have a nice call with some people and I freeze all the time like that's what I know I want you to start talking about stop freezing during video calls, I don't care about copper, fiber optics, sat, you know, satellite. You know, I don't care if someone's parked in a truck outside shoveling the internet into my house <laughs> physically. None of that matters to me. Dropping out in video calls is what matters to me. And most people don't do it and they half ass it because they don't want to invest in it. Because I think people can't distinguish between typing and copywriting. So because we all write and they're like, well, what do you do? I just, I tell you I sell software, you go tippity-tap, tippity-tap and a landing page appears. You're like, yeah, that's not how, yes, I can do that. But if you want it to actually work, that's the distinction, right? Do you want words on a page or do you want stuff that actually is going to get people to call you? And one is a lot of work and one is no work at all. And you can get somebody overseas to do it for you for $15 an hour. Yeah, I think, I don't think there's enough awareness in what the, in the differentiation between copywriting and content writing is. I didn't know there was as much of a differentiation as you've explained. The number of clients I have who go through our processes in two parts, right? It's a research process and then there's a the writing part. The number of clients you ha we have who say at the end of the research process, 
this has already been worth what we spent because I've learned things about my business that I did not know. So, I mean, I'll give you an example of um, an organization that does training for government. And I said to them, regardless of the quality of your training, a huge part of your value proposition is people in government have a hard time buying services because there are so many rules. And so many providers don't understand the rules. So what they'll do is say, sell you a two-day workshop. And then they'll say, well, actually, this would work much better if we split it over three days for the same money. Now, in a private business, you guys could say, yeah, fine, fuck it, split it over three days, cool, handshake, let's do it. In government, that's a whole different procurement process. So the value proposition is completely, is that we understand the government procurement process, so we're not going to make life difficult for you by constantly changing things that cause you to have to go back to the drawing board of procurement. That's part of your value proposition. So a lot of people get a huge amount of value just out of that, of explaining to them what their value proposition is, because then they can go and use that in every sales call, social media post, email newsletter. Don't get me started about people's email newsletters. It's like, what are they doing? Hi, I've got a product. Do you want to buy it? Oh, brilliant. That sounds fabulous. I'll email you every month about my product. Brilliant. It's going to add a lot of value to people, isn't it? Yeah. So if someone wants to start on a journey of actually copywriting and um, digging into their business a little bit more, it looks like it starts from research, like understanding who our customers are, what their burning problems are, what they fear at night, and like what do they wake up in the morning from. Um, I think a lot of the industry in the world of tech is all, like you said, it's more about this is our product, this is what it does, these are the features, do you want to buy it? Um, because we uh, then generally in our world, people are product focused, not solution focused at all. They pr profess to be, but generally they've got a product and it does X, Y, Z, it's cool, it's, um, it, it can save you time and that's that's the benefit. And off yeah, it's more elegantly oh. coded. Yeah, The stack is smaller, it yep. runs on a tinier server. Your server yeah. can be in a different country from the yeah. country where the other server had to be, or you know, yeah. one person might care about that. The um, person, the, IT the team CTO, but he might not even be buying this product. So that's a big issue again. Who your buyer is compared to who your users are would be beneficial to understand. It is. It's definitely the research. The research is critical, and the you know, in in a way, to be frank, the worst client is the one who phones up and says, "We already know." Like, that's what I love. Like, we explain, we do research. So, no, don't worry. We already know. We're going to tell you all of that. Yeah. Um, and then firstly, they even if they do know, they expect that part of the process then to be free because they already know. And you're like, but I now need to know. Like, it needs to come into us. Um, and that is time consuming. But people don't know. I had a client once and that their, their client was a wedding venue in Victoria and they said, don't worry, we've done all of the research. We know absolutely everything. You won't need to do anything. I said, okay, great. I said, well, what what makes this wedding venue special? They're like, it's in the countryside. I'm like, oh, okay, that's great. Do a lot of brides care about weddings in the country? Oh, we don't know. I said, how many other venues are in the countryside? We don't know. How is this venue different from any other venue that the bride might have been looking at? Oh, we don't know, but this one's got a cheese-making arm. or something. I mean, it was just... You have no idea. You haven't even spoken to the brides who chose this venue about why they chose this venue, but you're telling me you know everything about how this product is bought. Most people don't because they know they're different. And what they forget is 
you can say that you're the leading provider of whatever it is that you provide, which is mm. people's absolute favorite thing to say, because that's like job done, right? I'm the leading provider. <laughs> I've done it. I've <laughs> nailed it. Um, and they forget that their customer is looking at five other websites, all of which are the leading provider of whatever the hell it is. So you're back to zero. But they look only at their own website and they say, well, bloody hell, I'd buy from me. Well, sure, if you were on a desert island and you were the only provider of X service, everybody would buy from you because you sound amazing. But if you sound the same as everybody else in the playground, that's, that's, the, that's nothing. No one can decide. And that, that is how people end up choosing on price. If people don't understand how you solve the problem differently, and different is better than better, like just saying you're better, so better how, better what, um, knowing that you solve the problem differently from somebody else, that is what makes the difference. But if you look the same as everybody else, then the only decision I can make is based on price. And that's not where you want to be. You know, It's where most technology platforms end up being. And then in a very competitive landscape, they've got feature comparison websites. We've got this little feature compared to this other stream's got 95% of the same features. And then someone's comparing against this. Um, that's well, not what they're... You've got 30,000 CRMs. <laughs> it, it, yeah. It's a bit hard to find the one that you actually need. So it comes down to that level, I think. Oh, there's only so many you can look at too at the time, right? So in reality, human beings might look at three to five comparisons and they're done, if that. Well, CRMs are a really good example, obviously, because it, it, it is when you go and you look at them. CRMs are a bit like wedding photographers, right? Like when I got married, we went to see a couple of wedding photographers and I was thinking, how different can a wedding photographer be, right? But then you look at wedding photographers, you're very, very different. And you are clicking with some and you're not clicking with the style of others. But I had just assumed it was, I turn up with my camera, I point it in the right places and I'm pretty much the same as the next person. But it's not true. And CRM's really good example. It's not true. There's a, there's a philosophy that's informed how somebody's put the CRM together. And that philosophy is going to work for some people and not work for other people. But they're all really busy saying, I'm the best CRM. It's like, no, you're the best CRM executed to your philosophy of how a CRM should work. And if you talked to that more honestly, yes, you're going to lose some people, but what you're not going to lose is the person whose philosophy gels with you. So that's, to me, the secret of copywriting is nobody wants to be salesy, or generally speaking, like a lot of my clients, salesy is like holding up you know, holy water to a vampire. Like if, if they think they're, you know, if you say, do you want to be salesy? They're like, no, and they'll leave the room. But co good copywriting isn't salesy. Good copywriting puts a great business in front of exactly the right person so that they both understand that they are right for each other and the wrong person is not fooled into buying from them. The wrong person goes, thank you very much for explaining yourself so clearly. I will go somewhere else and I will not be your unhappy customer because I was the wrong person. And that is what gets missed. And so, yeah, all CRMs are like, yeah, we're brilliant. We do everything. In the world of email, for instance, there's a, a copywriter who has started um, an, you know, a convert kit alternative, for instance. And he is very, very clear. I am for information marketers. I am for people who don't want a lot of features because most of these pieces of software have, in my opinion, feature bloat. So I'm keeping my stuff really simple. You can't even include images in your emails because that affects deliverability. Our USP is we are super deliverable and we're never going to cancel you because he's you know, a little bit 
right-wing American, and he does run in a crowd that could get deplatformed by anybody at any minute. So that is the sort of fear they have, that if they go with active campaign or, you know, convert kid or someone like that, they're going to say something in an email that will get them cancelled. So he's very clear. That's my niche and that's who I'm going for. And there's enough people um, that that will work for me. And there would be a lot of room in CRM world for people to say, listen, this is who we're for. And it doesn't have to be, you know, we're for lawyers or we're accountants or schools or whatever it might be, but it could be connected to the philosophy of how you do things. Yeah, fascinating. And also a lot of depth and breadth of information to go into, hence that research piece. Um, Stephen, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> I'd love to pick your brain on some of the stuff we're doing, but thank you for joining on the Dev Ready podcast. Thank you for having um, me. It's been, yeah, really insightful. And I'm sure some of our listeners have got some really different thinking around how they might put their website together and their landing pages together and um, just not talk about features and what our product does and uh, have a video and demo of your product on your website, which is every other website that exists. It's, oh, it's the first thing you see is a video that you can click yeah, on. That's they're all the same. So everyone looks the same. So how do we differentiate? And this is a really clear um, discussion on maybe how we might consider differentiating. So I really appreciate you sharing your insights and some yeah, fun stories along the way. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks, guys. Anyone wants to reach out to you, get connected, what's the best way to find you? Uh, I'm at taylist.agency, so that's taylist as in telling tales, T-A-L-E-I-S-T, dot agency, and you can contact us there. And we've got a lot of um, free resources there for how to optimize the landing pages and um, get better. We've got a course on ChatGPT, which would be from that research point of view, because ChatGPT is not the writer that some people claim that it can be but it's a brilliant researcher. And so the course um, really helps people to unlock that. So all of the details are at taylor's.agency. Brilliant, we'll share that out in all the show notes and um, as it goes onto socials. Thanks, Stephen, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.